The Grand Chessboard by Zbigniew Brzezinski Chapter 4 The Black Hole The disintegration late in 1991 of the world's territorially largest state created a black hole in the very center of Eurasia. It was as if the geopolitician's heartland had been suddenly yanked from the global map. For America, this new and perplexing geopolitical situation posed a crucial challenge. Understandably, the immediate task has to be to reduce the probability of political anarchy or a revision to a hostile dictatorship in a crumbling state still possessing a powerful nuclear arsenal. But the long-range task remains. How to encourage Russia's democratic transformation and economic recovery while avoiding the re-emergence of a Eurasian empire that could obstruct the American geostrategic goal of shaping a larger Euro-Atlantic system to which Russia can then be stably and safely related. Russia's New Geopolitical Setting The collapse of the Soviet Union was the final stage in the progressive fragmentation of the vast Sino-Soviet Communist bloc that for a brief period of time matched and in some areas even surpassed the scope of Genghis Khan's realm. But the more modern transcontinental Eurasian bloc lasted very briefly, with a defection by Tito's Yugoslavia and the insubordination of Mao's China signaling early on the communist camp's vulnerability to nationalist aspirations that proved to be stronger than ideological bonds. The Sino-Soviet bloc lasted roughly ten years, the Soviet Union about 70. However, even more geopolitically significant was the undoing of the centuries-old Moscow-ruled Great Russian Empire. The disintegration of that empire was precipitated by the general socio-economic and political failure of the Soviet system. Though much of its malaise was obscured, almost until the very end, by its systematic secrecy and self-isolation. Hence, the world was stunned by the seeming rapidity of the Soviet Union's self-destruction. In the course of two short weeks in December 1991, the Soviet Union was first defiantly declared as dissolved by the heads of its Russian, Ukrainian, and Belarusian republics, then formally replaced by a vaguer entity called the Commonwealth of Independent States, or CIS embracing all of the Soviet republics but the Baltic ones. Then, the Soviet president reluctantly resigned and the Soviet flag was lowered for the last time from the Tower of the Kremlin. And, finally, the Russian Federation, now a predominantly Russian national state of 150 million people, emerged as the de facto successor to the former Soviet Union, while the other republics, accounting for another 150 million people, asserted in varying degrees their independent sovereignty. The collapse of the Soviet Union produced monumental geopolitical confusion. In the course of a mere fortnight, the Russian people, who, generally speaking, were even less forewarned than the outside world of the Soviet Union's approaching disintegration, suddenly discovered that they were no longer the masters of a transcontinental empire, but that the frontiers of Russia had been rolled back to where they had been in the Caucasus in the early 1800s, in Central Asia in the mid-1800s, and much more dramatically and painfully in the West in approximately 1600. 
soon after the reign of Ivan the Terrible. The loss of the Caucasus revived strategic fears of resurgent Turkish influence. The loss of Central Asia generated a sense of deprivation regarding the enormous energy and mineral resources of the region, as well as anxiety over a potential Islamic challenge. And Ukraine's independence challenged the very essence of Russia's claim to being a divinely endowed standard-bearer of a common pan-Slavic identity. The space occupied for centuries by the Tsarist Empire and for three-quarters of a century by the Russian-dominated Soviet Union was now to be filled by a dozen states, with most, except for Russia, hardly prepared for genuine sovereignty and ranging in size from a relatively large Ukraine with its 52 million people to Armenia with its 3.5 million. Their viability seemed uncertain while Moscow's willingness to accommodate permanently to the new reality was similarly unpredictable. The historic shock suffered by the Russians was magnified by the fact that some 20 million Russian-speaking people were now inhabitants of foreign states, dominated politically by increasingly nationalistic elites, determined to assert their own identities after decades of more or less coercive Russification. The collapse of the Russian Empire created a power void in the very heartland of Eurasia. Not only was there weakness and confusion in the newly independent states, but in Russia itself, the upheaval produced a massive systematic crisis, especially as the political upheaval was accompanied by the simultaneous attempt to undo the old Soviet socio-economic model. The national trauma was made worse by Russia's military involvement in Tajikistan, driven by fears of a Muslim takeover of that newly independent state, and was especially heightened by the tragic, brutal, and both economically and politically very costly intervention in Chechnya. Most painful of all, Russia's international status was significantly degraded, with one of the world's two superpowers now viewed by many as little more than a third world regional power though still possessing a significant but increasingly antiquated nuclear arsenal. The geopolitical void was magnified by the scale of Russia's social crisis. Three-quarters of a century of communist rule had inflicted unprecedented biological damage on the Russian people. A very high proportion of its most gifted and enterprising individuals were killed or perished in the Gulag, in numbers to be counted in the millions. In addition, during this century, the country also suffered the ravages of World War I, the killings of a protracted civil war, and the atrocities and deprivations of World War II. The ruling communist regime imposed a stifling doctrinal orthodoxy while isolating the country from the rest of the world. Its economic policies were totally indifferent to ecological concerns, with the result that both the environment and the health of the people suffered greatly. According to official Russian statistics, by the mid-1990s, only about 40% of newborns came into the world healthy, while roughly one-fifth of Russian fifth-graders suffered from some form of mental retardation. Male longevity had declined to 57.3 years, and more Russians were dying than were being born. Russia's social condition was, in fact, typical of a middle-rank third-world country. One cannot overstate the horrors and tribulations that have befallen the Russian people in the course of this century. Hardly a single Russian family has had the opportunity to lead a normal, civilized existence. Consider the social implications of the following sequence of events. 
the Russo-Japanese War of 1905, ending in Russia's humiliating defeat. The first proletarian revolution of 1905, igniting large-scale urban violence. World War I of 1914 to 1917, with its millions of casualties and massive economic dislocation. The Civil War of 1918 to 1921, again consuming several million lives and devastating the land. The Russo-Polish War of 1919 to 1920, ending in a Russian defeat. The launching of the Gulag in the early 1920s, including the decimation of the pre-revolutionary elite and its large-scale exodus from Russia. The industrialization and collectivization drives of the early and mid-1930s, which generated massive famines and millions of deaths in Ukraine and Kazakhstan. The great purges and terror of the mid and late 1930s, with millions incarcerated in labor camps and upward of one million shot and several million dying from maltreatment. World War II of 1941 and 1945, with its multiple millions of military and civilian casualties and vast economic devastation. The reimposition of Stalinist terror in the late 1940s, again involving large-scale arrests and frequent executions. The 40-year-long arms race with the United States, lasting from the late 1940s to the late 1980s, with its socially impoverishing effects. The economically exhausting efforts to project Soviet power into the Caribbean, Middle East, and Africa during the 1970s and 1980s. The debilitating war in Afghanistan from 1979 to 1989. The sudden breakup of the Soviet Union, followed by civil disorders, a painful economic crisis, and the bloody and humiliating war against Chechnya. Not only was the crisis in Russia's internal condition and the loss of international status distressingly unsettling, especially for the Russian political elite, but Russia's geopolitical situation was also adversely affected. In the West, as a consequence of the Soviet Union's disintegration, Russia's frontiers had been altered most painfully, and its sphere of geopolitical influence had dramatically shrunk. See map on page 94. The Baltic states had been Russian-controlled since the 1700s, and the loss of the ports of Riga and Tallinn made Russia's access to the Baltic Sea more limited and subject to winter freezes. Although Moscow managed to retain a politically dominant position in the formerly newly independent but highly russified Belarus, it was far from certain that the nationalist contagion would not eventually also gain the upper hand there as well. And beyond the frontiers of the former Soviet Union, the collapse of the Warsaw Pact meant that former satellite states of Central Europe, foremost among them Poland, were rapidly gravitating toward NATO and the European Union. Most troubling of all was the loss of Ukraine. The appearance of an independent Ukrainian state not only challenged all Russians to rethink the nature of their own political and ethnic identity, but it represented a vital geopolitical setback for the Russian state. The repudiation of more than 300 years of Russian imperial history meant the loss of a potentially rich industrial and agricultural economy, and of 52 million people ethnically and religiously sufficiently close to the Russians to make Russia into a truly large and confident imperial state. 
Ukraine's independence also deprived Russia of its dominant position on the Black Sea, where Odessa had served as Russia's vital gateway to trade with the Mediterranean and the world beyond. The loss of Ukraine was geopolitically pivotal, for it drastically limited Russia's geostrategic options. Even without the Baltic states and Poland, a Russia that retained control over Ukraine could still seek to be the leader of an assertive Eurasian empire, in which Moscow could dominate the non-Slavs in the South and Southeast and the former Soviet Union. But without Ukraine and its 52 million fellow Slavs, any attempt by Moscow to rebuild the Eurasian Empire was likely to leave Russia entangled alone in protracted conflicts with the nationally and religiously aroused non-Slavs, the war with Chechnya, perhaps, simply being the first example. Moreover, given Russia's declining birth rate and the explosive birth rate among the Central Asians, any new Eurasian entity based purely on Russian power without Ukraine, would inevitably become less European and more Asiatic with each passing year. The loss of Ukraine was not only geopolitically pivotal, but also geopolitically catalytic. It was Ukrainian actions, the Ukrainian Declaration of Independence in December 1991, its insistence in the critical negotiations in Belavesa that the Soviet Union should be replaced by a looser commonwealth of independent states, and especially the sudden coup-like imposition of Ukrainian command over the Soviet army units stationed on Ukrainian soil that prevented the CIS from becoming merely a new name for a more confederal USSR. Ukraine's political self-determination stunned Moscow and set an example that other Soviet republics, though initially more timidly, then followed. Russia's loss of its dominant position on the Baltic Sea was replicated on the Black Sea, not only because of Ukraine's independence, but also because the newly independent Caucasian states, Georgia, Armenia, and Azerbaijan, enhanced the opportunities for Turkey to re-establish its once-lost influence in the region. Prior to 1991, the Baltic Sea was the point of departure for the projection of Russian naval power into the Mediterranean. By the mid-1990s, Russia was left with a small coastal strip on the Black Sea and with an unresolved debate with Ukraine over basing rights in Crimea for the remnants of the Soviet Black Sea fleet while observing, with evident irritation, joint NATO-Ukrainian naval and shore landing maneuvers and a growing Turkish role in the Black Sea region. Russia also suspected Turkey of having provided effective aid to the Chechnyan resistance. Farther to the southeast, the geopolitical upheaval produced a similarly significant change in the status of the Caspian Sea Basin and of Central Asia more generally. Before the Soviet Union's collapse, the Caspian Sea was, in effect, a Russian lake, with a small southern sector falling within Iran's perimeter. With the emergence of the independent and strongly nationalist Azerbaijan, reinforced by the influx of eager Western oil investors and the similarly independent Kazakhstan and Turkmenistan, Russia became only one of five claimants to the riches of the Caspian Sea Basin. It could no longer confidently assume that it could dispose of these resources on its own. 
The emergence of the independent Central Asian states meant that in some places, Russia's southeastern frontier had been pushed back northward more than 1,000 miles. The new states now controlled vast mineral and energy deposits that were bound to attract foreign interests. It was almost inevitable that not only the elites, but for too long, also the peoples of these states would become more nationalistic and perhaps increasingly Islamic in outlook. In Kazakhstan, a vast country endowed with enormous natural resources, but with its nearly 20 million people split almost evenly between Kazakhs and Slavs, linguistic and national frictions are likely to intensify. Uzbekistan, with its much more ethnically homogeneous population of approximately 25 million, and its leaders emphasizing the country's historic glories, has become increasingly assertive in affirming the region's new post-colonial status. Turkmenistan, geographically shielded by Kazakhstan from any direct contact with Russia, has actively deployed new links with Iran in order to diminish its prior dependence on the Russian communications system for access to the global markets. Supported from the outside by Turkey, Iran, Pakistan, and Saudi Arabia, the Central Asian states have not been inclined to trade their new political sovereignty even for the sake of beneficial economic integration with Russia as many Russians continued to hope they would. At the very least, some tension and hostility in their relationship with Russia is unavoidable. While the painful precedents of Chechnya and Tajikistan suggest that something worse cannot be altogether excluded. For the Russians, the specter of a potential conflict with the Islamic states along Russia's entire southern flank which, adding in Turkey, Iran, and Pakistan, account for more than 300 million people, has to be a source of serious concern. Finally, at the time its empire dissolved, Russia was also facing an ominous new geopolitical situation in the Far East, even though no territorial or political changes had taken place. For several centuries, China had been weaker and more backward than Russia, at least in the political and military domains. No Russian concerned with the country's future and perplexed by the dramatic changes of this decade, can ignore the fact that China is on its way to being a more advanced, more dynamic, and more successful state than Russia. China's economic power, wedded to the dynamic energy of its 1.2 billion people, is fundamentally reversing the historic equation between the two countries, with the empty spaces of Siberia almost beckoning for Chinese colonization. This staggering new reality was bound to affect the Russian sense of security in its far eastern region, as well as Russian interests in Central Asia. Before long, this development might even overshadow the geopolitical importance of Russia's loss of Ukraine. Its strategic implications were also expressed by Vladimir Lukin, Russia's first post-communist ambassador to the United States, and later the chairman of the Duma's Foreign Affairs Committee. In the past, Russia saw itself as being ahead of Asia, though lagging behind Europe. But since then, Asia has developed much faster. We find ourselves to be not so much between modern Europe and backward Asia, but rather occupying some strange middle space between two Europes. In brief, Russia until recently the forger of a great territorial empire and the leader of an ideological bloc of satellite states extending into the very heart of Europe, 
and at one point to the South China Sea, had become a troubled national state without easy geographic access to the outside world and potentially vulnerable to debilitating conflicts with its neighbors on its western, southern, and eastern flanks. Only the uninhabitable and the inaccessible northern spaces, almost permanently frozen, seemed geopolitically secure. 